Good morning, Euclid uh, Community Church. It is really good to be with you again. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Megan Madsen. I uh, was Pastor Benjamin's very first associate pastor there at Euclid. Um, after being in Kansas City for a while, I am uh, now pastoring uh, the Hayden True North Church of the Nazarene in um, Kootenai County, up north of you. Um, you'll have to forgive my voice this morning. Um, much like all of you, I am suffering from the smoke from the fires. Um, and so as we begin this morning, I would just invite you to pray with me, especially for those deeply impacted by the fires up and down the West Coast, but also the fires that have hit um, the world's largest refugee camp in Greece. Um, join with me as we pray this morning. Holy God, we are grateful that you are not far from us in our hour of need. We ask that you would make us mindful of not only our own needs, but the ways that we can meet the needs of those around us. May we be mindful of this kingdom that you are building and may, may your call to participate in it uh, spur, us to, spur us to action in the face of injustice. Spur us to mercy in the face of wrongdoing. Um, and spur us to faithfulness in the face of all things. Lord, we praise you and we thank you this day and always. Amen. Well, uh, Pastor Ben has asked me to preach on uh, the lectionary text this week um, from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which we are uh, hitting another of Jesus' parables this week. Um, Jesus, Jesus often taught his disciples and followers and the bands of strangers that followed after him in these stories um, and these parables that are creative um, explanations about things that are... Um, near and dear to our hearts, but are very different in the kingdom of heaven, as uh, the Gospel of Matthew calls it, or we might call it the kingdom of God, um, the family of God, the place and time of God's reign, embodied not just in a spiritual sense, but embodied right here, right now. And Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus taught in these parables and these stories was to catch his listeners and catch us off guard. Um, he takes things that are very everyday, things that are very um, normal and natural to our world and uses um, unnatural intruders into these stories to show us the places and times that we think something is normal that should not be normal for those of us who belong as citizens to the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost. And so my question always is, what is it about this text? Or what is it about this parable? What is it about this teaching that requires us to be caught off guard in the first place? Why is it that we must be caught astonished in order to receive this good news? So as we turn to the parable, I ask you uh, just to have that question floating in the back of your mind. Why must Jesus catch us unawares in Matthew 20? Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 1. Matthew's Gospel chapter 20 says this for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard 
he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon. And he did the same thing both times. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Matthew's gospel, um, we're very familiar, most of us who have grown up in the church, with um, the teachings of the kingdom of God um, from the parable on the mount and Matthew um, five, six, seven. We're very familiar with those kinds of teachings that Jesus offers. But as we get towards the end of Matthew's gospel here, Jesus begins teaching um, almost a second kind of Sermon on the Mount to his disciples as, um, as he returns from the Mount of Transfiguration um, back in chapter 17 and 18. He begins moving them toward this idea that the calling of discipleship to carry their cross isn't just a metaphor. Um, that indeed Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem to be crucified and they aren't having it. Peter gets very upset about this. The disciples get very upset about this. And so Jesus again and again is teaching them in all these manner of parables and teaching them sometimes very directly, teaching them indirectly about what this kingdom he is building looks like. And so as we come to this parable, um, you might remember from last week, the parable from chapter 18 about another landowner, about um, another king who forgave debts of servants. Um, we see again that Matthew is working very hard as a gospel writer to overturn our assumptions about being saved by works. Matthew is working very hard to convince us and show us that Jesus's gospel is based solely on being saved only and thoroughly by grace and that this grace abounds and is bountiful in this kingdom that Jesus is building because it's the very foundation of the one who is building the kingdom. The one who builds this kingdom, this God of Israel, this God revealed in Jesus of Nazareth, is a God whose very heartbeat is love and compassion abounding to hundreds of generations. 
And so what Matthew wants us to understand is that it's not our good deeds, it's not our good works, it's not um, the debt we accumulate from God that saves us, but it is our works that reveal where our treasure lies, which is a very important theme in Matthew's gospel as well. But we come to this parable, and this parable doesn't just challenge our ideas of works. It challenges our whole concept of fairness and justice. It challenges our whole concept of economy and what it means to live in a world and earn a wage and be paid fairly, which is something that we are all very, very concerned about, even if just only in our own lives and not concerned in the greater um, scheme of the places that we live in. This parable offends us. This type of payment offends us um, because it's ridiculous. It's absurd. This is not how the world works. It would be as if one of us was working at a company. They hire someone new on December 1st and that person received the same full salary that any of us who had been working there the whole year received. And they were back paid through January of the year before. It's absurd. And yet, that's exactly the absurdity and offense that Jesus is highlighting as misplaced in the kingdom of heaven. I'll say that again. Our offense at the generosity of the landowner, our offense at the owner of the vineyard's payment, our offense at this concept of fairness and justice is exactly what Jesus is trying to illuminate as not belonging in the kingdom. If we've grown up in the church, um, if any of you have, you've probably um, heard this parable reduced to only being about 11th hour uh, sorts of salvations, right? Deathbed confessions. Because unfortunately for many of us who grew up in the, um, in the American church, we have been intentionally and unintentionally indoctrinated to over-spiritualize Jesus' teachings. And while certainly this passage has much to do with the after-death sorts of rewards that Jesus is talking about um, in other places in this gospel, what we have to remember is that Jesus is never just talking about the sweet by and by. Jesus is very rarely just talking about heaven as a far off entity because Jesus's kingdom is never only there and far away. This kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into as followers is a kingdom that is also here and now. And we have to remember that these parables about the kingdom tell us what sort of king is establishing this kingdom. It tells us about what kind of Messiah Jesus is revealing himself to be. It's telling us about what kind of God Jesus is revealing himself to be. This kingdom language isn't just about the kinds of things that we're going to get when we get to heaven. I want my denarius when I get there. It's about the kind of world and the kind of followers and the kind of church that Jesus has left behind here on earth, here and now. And if we make this only about spiritual ideas, we have so missed the boat on what Jesus is calling us to. Because like I said, this parable um, is about this kingdom. And in that kingdom... 
we learn what God does in God's space. When God has full reign, when God is fully in charge and human sin has been displaced from the equation, this is what God does. And when human sin is a part of the equation, this is what God does. And when all manner of sin and all manner of injustice and injustice and brokenness are a part of a system, this is still what God does. In God's space, this is how God behaves. And in our space, in our space, this kind of generosity, this kind of justice, this kind of fairness doesn't make sense. So we have to ask ourselves, why is this who God is? And why is this not who we are? The vineyard is this continual image of God's space throughout scripture. We see this throughout the Old Testament. We see Jesus constantly pulling on the theme of vineyard, um, on the theme of vines, on the theme of grapes, on the theme of wine and wineskins and all of these things because wine was the central um, drink at the table of Israel. So the vineyard is as much a part of our natural everyday being. This kingdom is meant to be as much a part of our natural everyday being, our tables, as wine was a part of the table of Israel. And here in God's space in the vineyard, in this parable, and here and now, Jesus reminds us that hard work to earn a reward is not a fruit of the Spirit. Hard work is not a fruit of the Spirit at all. Um, participation in God's work is absolutely a faithful response. But simply hard work to earn something from God has no place in the kingdom. And what Jesus is reminding us is we see that none of these workers, not one of them, did anything to earn earn a spot in the vineyard working they just needed a job they were unhired maybe they were very undeserving of being hired Jesus through this parable reminds us that each one of us and each one of our participation in the kingdom we are all beggars in the kingdom of God we are all immigrants in the kingdom of God none of us is born with a passport stamped with the kingdom of God on the front. We are just as much beggars on the streets in deep need of God's calling, in deep need of God's grace and mercy and justice and rewards as anyone else. And so as we remember this dynamic, just as we remember from the parable last week, that we have been forgiven an insurmountable debt. Jesus reminds us through this parable what the people following him are meant to behave like because of their deep connection to the owner of the vineyard. Jesus reminds us through this parable what our work is supposed to be and how we are to participate in this kingdom here and now, not just then and there. If we remember Matthew's gospel also gives us uh, the Lord's prayer, which we remember when we pray, we say, 
Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we pray the way that Jesus taught us, we confess that as the church of Christ Jesus, it is our primary calling to participate in that kingdom, to participate in the will of God here and now, not just then and there, to bring heaven to earth, to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on earth as foretastes of its fullness coming when Christ Jesus returns. And so as we look at this passage, we see this imagination of the kingdom woven throughout it even the way that uh, the vineyard owner says I will pay you what is right this word I will pay you what is right in Greek is the same word that we get the word justice it's the same word that we get um, the word righteousness from it's the same word that we get the word justification from which if uh, we are wesleyans is a very important word to our theological language about salvation but we've often reduced righteousness and justification and justice to concepts that are completely separated from this kingdom from the scriptures really um, because God's justice in scripture is a restorative healing sort of thing. God's justice in scripture is not about punish, just punishment for punishment's sake. It's not the kind of justice that our legal system participates in or any legal system participates in. Our legal system is primarily concerned um, with punishing those who have done bad things as a deterrent to keep others from doing bad things and to keep the bad people from doing more bad things. But God's justice often looks like forgiving those who have sinned. It often looks like punishment, yes, but punishment always going towards restoration. And so the punishment has ending and then full community as a part of it. God's justice. And as we separate righteousness from this justice, we talk about righteousness as just a simple religious piousness. It's just being a good, polite, decent person. And that's not what righteousness is at all. Righteousness in the Greek and what we see throughout the New Testament and what we see throughout the Old Testament is deeply connected to God's justice. So righteousness is really one who does God's justice, one who participates in God's restoring justice. The same thing with justification. To be justified is to be one who has been a beneficiary of God's justice. And then participates in it on the other side of it. And so we see that the landowner says, I will pay you what is just. Not what is fair. According to the world's standards. Do we, my brothers and sisters, work towards this kind of restoring justice for people who are undeserving of it? Because there is no one who is deserving of it. Not one. Are we concerned with the lives of those on the underbelly of our society? That our society pushes to the side. That Matthew's gospel constantly reminds us Jesus is elevating. Are we participating in this kingdom whose foundations are extravagant mercy, grace, and restoring justice? Or are we just working the vineyard, expecting God to pay us more for our good deeds? 
As we turn to the last few verses of this passage, I'm deeply struck um, by this proclamation. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? We live in a world in which we are demanded, uh, indoctrinated, trained to fight to be first in line, or at least to be close to those who are first in line. And yet Christ Jesus's kingdom is one in which those who clamor for the front of the line are not reflecting his lordship. Are we so busy competing for recognition that we have lost sight that this landowner loves us just as much as those who are not clamoring for recognition? Are we so busy trying to earn our place in the kingdom that we have missed that this landowner is just as generous with us as the landowner is gener generous with our neighbors? Are we envious because God is generous with others and have missed that God is indeed generous with us? My dear brothers and sisters, Are we aware that this kingdom is all around us and Christ Jesus is indeed inviting us to come and work the vineyard? And may we be mindful of those who also need to be invited to come work the vineyard, whether they sit next to us every Sunday morning or we encounter them by the bus stop or under bridges or in a coffee shop. May we be mindful that we are called primarily first and foremost to participate in this kingdom that the Holy Spirit is building here on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks be to God.